0: In Nehemiah chapter 2, we are asking the question these 50 days, what can I do? We are talking and praying and even fasting over these 50 days and we're, we're coming before the Lord and saying... What is it, how is it that I can get involved in the work of the Lord? How is it that, that I can plug in to what the Lord is doing here at Aloma Church? We are uh, walking through the book of Nehemiah together. We're, we're talking about these principles in our life groups. We're, we're reading the book. We're fasting. We're praying. We're, we're coming before the Lord. And I truly believe that God is about to do something great in the life and the heartbeat of this church and in the life of you and your family. Nehemiah, Ch- Chapter 2, we are going to be talking about leadership and sacrifice today. Here, leadership and sacrifice. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you're not sick, there, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then That you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Father, we thank you for this word, and Father, as we speak from it here today, Lord, let us be attentive to what you would have us to say. I know that so many of us here in this room, those who are watching online right now, we come with a lot of stuff, Father, and and I pray that we will lay all of that aside. And Father, may we be focused in on what you would have us to hear today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There's three things that we see here that teach us and talk to us about leadership and sacrifice. The leadership and sacrifice of of Nehemiah. The first thing that we understand that we see from Nehemiah, which we must apply to our own life, is we must dream with vision. Dream with vision. Nehemiah was consumed with the vision of God. God placed a great dream and a great vision in this man's life. He, he put his neck on the line when the king was asking him what was going on. Nehemiah said, look, I, I didn't go into his presence and I, I wasn't asking him uh, to do anything. I, I wasn't changing my appearance. I, he, he said, why are you so sad? And, and you have to understand something about Nehemiah. The place that he was in, if, if he were to come to the king and he were to have a, a sad countenance, it's very very good chance that Nehemiah could lose his life. There's a very good chance that Nehemiah could lose his job. And so this is why he goes to painstaking efforts to say, I wasn't, I wasn't looking sad. I, I was I was living in the Lord, but but the king saw something, and what happens is that when God births a vision in your heart, you cannot hide it on the outside. People see something different on the outside when when God is birthing a vision and a plan and a dream in your heart. And in your life, when you begin to claim those promises that God has given to you, when you begin to claim those promises, uh, people will begin to see what is taking place on the outside, outside of you. And so the king sees this. He saw that Nehemiah was consumed with something, and he was consumed with vision. He was consumed with passion. Church, God has given us a a very great vision, a, a very big mission that we are consumed with. You've heard me say our our vision statement over and over and over again, centering ourselves on Jesus, doing whatever it takes for people to experience life change. That is what we are about. That is the heartbeat of Aloma Church. This is what drives us, what motivates us, our our vision, our our mission to center ourselves on Jesus, doing whatever it takes. Why? So people can experience life change. We are in the business of seeing people's lives change changed. It's all about life change. Why am I asking the members of this church to memorize? And every time you come on Sunday, you, you see the scripture memory right in the middle of your bulletin. Why is it for 52 weeks this year, I'm, I'm asking the church to memorize 52 scriptures. Why is it I'm asking you to hide God's word in your heart? Why? Because of life change. That's why. Why is it that we're going down to the Orlando Rescue Mission in, in, a, in less than four weeks and, and taking, going down there and to serve meals to the homeless? Why are we doing that? Because of life change. Why are we challenging the church to have a quiet time, a, a daily alone time alone with God? Why am I asking you to, to, to take time away in your calendar on, in the mornings when you wake up and, and open God's Word and begin to read God's Word and pray? Why am I asking you to do that? Life change. Why are we focusing next year and, and calling next year the year of evangelism? Why are we saying this? Why? Because of life change. Why are we praying and fasting for 50 days? Life change. What's the purpose of Aloma Cares? What's the purpose, as we said, of this homeless ministry? What's the purpose of, of reaching and serving the business community? Life change. The dream. The vision for Aloma Church is to impact our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ to see lives changed. This is our vision. And it's the vision that God gives us that rallies people together for a better future. A vision is when we see beyond what others see. You see, a vision is more than a dream. A vision is something that that we we can see, but yet we don't have. It's receiving it by faith. It's accepting by faith. It's believing. That's the purpose of a vision. A vision must be big. A vision must be bigger than you. If it's something that you can accomplish, then it's not vision. If it's something that you alone can do, it's not vision. And what God had given to Nehemiah to do was much bigger than Nehemiah. Get in your mind. Nehemiah was living in a place a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. Never stepped foot in Jerusalem. Never seen. This is before Facebook, right? Right? So he's not Facebook buddies with people in Jerusalem and he's getting Snapchats of of the the walls that are broken down. Nehemiah is not looking here saying, he's not seen this before, right? Nehemiah, he's just received word that his hometown where his, his, his father's father's father was. That the walls were broken down. That God's house is broken down. And so it was pricking at his heart and Nehemiah said, I've got to do something. This vision was much bigger than Nehemiah understood. And we must understand that vision, God-given vision. If you've read the first two chapters of that book, you understand that God has given this church a very big vision. And many of you have said, how in the world are we going to accomplish this? How are we going to launch all of these ministries? How are we going to build this building? How are we going to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How are we going to do it? It's by living, breathing, fulfilling the mission and vision that God has given to us. It's too big for any one person. But when we come together, when we get in the game, when we do this together, listen, it's all going to come to fruition. God has given us this vision. And now it's up to us to do our part and to see it happen. Vision is more than a dream. You know, vision without a task is just a dream. Vision without a task is a dream. On the other hand, a task without vision is mindless work. Think about this. If I have vision, but I have no way to accomplish that vision, it's only a dream. If God has placed a vision in my heart, but yet I don't go and I don't try to fulfill that vision, it's simply just a dream. It's a pipe dream. But if all I have are ministries and tasks to do, but there's no vision in front of me, the Bible says without vision, the people what? Perish. So vision without a task is drudgery. A task without vision, a task without vision, all you're going to get stuck in is is the rut of things. But when you couple a vision and you couple it with a task, you know what happens? You can change the world. This is what Jesus taught us. Jesus gave us the great commission and he gave us a big vision to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave us a big vision, but then he came back and he told us the task on how to do it. Go ye therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, teaching them to observe that I have commanded you. You see, he's told us to go. That's the vision. Go. But then he gave us the task. He's told us how it is that we are to do it. And listen, church family, if we will simply do that, we will be world changers. Billy Graham, one of the greatest men of our generation, one of the greatest Christians of our generation, has echoed something that he's heard from generations in the past, and it's so true. This world has yet to see a young man or a young woman, a grown man or a grown woman who is completely sold out to Jesus Christ. And when that happens, you better watch out. It's all about life change. Now, we've been talking about this vision. Aloma, we've been talking about life change for a long time. We center ourselves on Jesus. We center ourselves on Jesus. We center ourselves on Jesus doing whatever it takes for people to experience life. We've been talking about that over and over and over. That's the vision. Up to this point, it's simply been a dream. But the purpose of these 50 days of prayer and fasting is to take the vision and to couple it with a task. And when we have the vision down, and I think we've got the vision down, we now couple it with the task. And over these 50 days, we begin to ask, what can I do? How can I get apart? And when we couple a vision with a task and we put them together, there's going to be life change. We will change the city. The city will be turned up t- upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ when we begin to do this thing. The task, that which is tangible, the hands and the feet of the vision. It begins by asking, what can I do? What I want you to see here is how big the dream was that Nehemiah had, had, was given. Nehemiah was told to go to a place he had never seen. To utilize a people that, to build the wall that he had never met. And to ask a king who could care less about the building of a wall. This king is a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. What king do you think would want to provide provision to build the city walls of another city? That's not going to happen, right? This is why right in the middle of it, when, when the king asked Nehemiah, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? Right in the middle of it, he said, I stopped and began to pray. Because Nehemiah realizes what's on the line. He realizes that, if, that the king, his life is in the king's hands. And this king could just simply say off with his head and Nehemiah would be dead. It was a bold plan by Nehemiah to stand before the king, King Artaxerxes, and say, King, I feel that God's leading me, and oh, by the way, I want you to fund it. That's bold. But you see, vision is supposed to be bold. Vision is supposed to be asking people to do things that you don't think that they would do. Vision means, when we we come into the vision, it means that we begin to believe in the impossible. Because when we begin to believe in the impossible, God comes along and does the possible. And church family, we will never arrive there when 20% of our church does 80% of the work. When 20% of our church gives 80% of the money. We will never see this community rocked with the gospel. But when we couple the vision with the task, church, we will be world changers. I believe we will see this city, our city of Orlando, like I said, turned upside down with the gospel. I love this city. Orlando, the city beautiful. I was just telling the, a, a group that was praying in homes, we're, we have prayer groups all around homes over these 50 days, by the way, through our life groups. And, and I've been fortunate enough on, on Tuesday and, and on Thursday of this past week, we were praying with, with in our groups, we had 20, uh, sometimes 30 people in the groups praying, just praying for our church, praying for you. And so throughout these 50 days, we're, we're praying and praying and praying. We're praying for our city, the city beautiful. But listen, Sarah and I have only lived here for almost three years. And as much as we love this city, you know what we found in this city? This is a dark city. This city is full of sin. This city begins to major on those things that God says are off limits. That's what we're finding our city gravitating toward. We live in a city that is post-Christianity. We live in a city where you can walk up and down the streets, and I know this to be true because I've done it, and talk to people about Jesus, and they have no clue who you're talking about. This is the city beautiful, but it's a dark city. It's a city that is in need of a church to finally stand up and say, you know what? Enough is enough. We're going to do this. We're going to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and impact this city. That's what we need. That's what this church needs. That's what the people of, of Jerusalem... When, who did Nehemiah use to build the wall? Have you ever thought about that? Who did he use? Did he bring the people from, from prison with him? No. Who did he use? He used those Jews that were sitting around the wall who had been sitting and living among that rubble for years. When Nehemiah walked into that city, he walked in basically alone. And he walked up to a group of people who who had made their life around the rubble. History tells us that when the walls were knocked down, the the, the poorest of the Jews went to that rubble where the big stones were toppled down. When the Babylonians came through and and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember the story, they were taken away. When the walls were destroyed, Jews were left behind. And they, they found in the rubble a great place to live. And so in the rubble of the walls, in the rubble of the temple, people were living and they become okay with what they were living in. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Friends, we must start investing and inviting and sharing the love of Jesus. You know why? Because our time is short. Jesus is coming back. If you don't believe Jesus is coming back, turn on ESPN. Chicago Cubs are in the playoffs. If that doesn't tell you that Jesus Christ is coming back, I don't know what else will. <laughs> you know, I I, I tell you, um, growing up and hearing that Jesus is coming back soon, Jesus is coming back soon, I, I tell you, I... I used to take that and say, you know, I, I wish I wish I was born a generation earlier so I could see my kids grow up and grandkids and great grandkids. And Lord, why couldn't I have been born earlier? Because I, I really wanted to live life. And through the time, God has really showed something to me, church. Why would I ask to be to miss a blessing? Think about this. Our generation is the generation that's going to see Jesus return back. You say, how do I know that? Because the Bible tells us very plainly. Over and over and over again, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy have been fulfilled right here in our midst. The desert is blooming. Uh, Israel is a nation. All of this has happened in our lifetime. No other time but this generation. Why would I ask God to take me out of the chosen generation, we are the chosen generation. Think about this: we get to see Jesus come back. We get to we get to experience what it means to be caught up in the rapture. We get to experience physically experience see Jesus come back. We get to hear the trumpets sound. We get all of this. We are the chosen generation. Why? Why then would we want to cast that away? This is the generation that, that every generation since Jesus has been praying, Lord, let it be us. Lord, let it be It is us, and we're wasting it away. It is our generation, and we're sitting on the sidelines. It is our generation, and we're saying, you know what? Y'all can go to hell. We're okay. We're going to heaven. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are we doing? Yeah, it's cool to be in a country where we're free to come in and worship. I thank God for our freedom. I thank God for the men and women who gave their life to fight for our freedom. Yes. But don't take freedom as a license to be lazy. Don't take our freedom as a license to say that what's going on out there is okay. We have to get in the game. We have to begin to say, what can I do? We have to realize that what we're doing is not enough because we've got to step out and do more. You say, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not like Nehemiah. I'm not a leader. Well, yes, you are. By definition, a leader simply is a person that has influence. I'm looking in the eyes of every person who is a leader. Because you have influence. You have influence in your family. You have influence in your school. You have influence in the places that you work. Don't come to me and say, I'm not a leader. I can't do what Nehemiah did. Oh, yes, you can. As a leader, you ought to be praying that God would do something great through you. Pray for greatness. You say, no, wait a minute. Should I really be praying for greatness? Should I really be praying that God would do something great in my life? Isn't that that a little awkward? Well, what else are you going to pray for, that God would make you a failure? Oh, God, help me to fail today. Of course we pray for greatness. Of course we ask God to to bless what it is that we're doing. Of course we ask God to take the vision that he has placed in our heart and and to do something great and something audacious. Of course, trusting God in a great way. This is why I find Nehemiah, the, the person Nehemiah, so compelling. This story finds Israel in one of her weakest moments in her history. In one of the weakest moments, this is one of the first and only Old Testament books that does not tell us anything about Israel in the very first verses. We don't we don't start, we don't start in Israel. We start somewhere else. This was a weak moment, a time when the city and the walls and the temple laid in ruins. No one rose up to the occasion. No one said, we can do this. As we said, there were men and women living among the rubble. They had become okay with living and making their house in the rubble of the walls. God surely spoke to people and said, we need to do something. You need to do something. You need to do something. Not one person in Israel would God find, could God find that said, all right, I can do this. Let's, let's rally the troops. Let's rebuild this wall. He had to go a thousand miles outside of Jerusalem and find a man who was a cupbearer, not a preacher, not a pastor, not a Levite, not a person of influence. His, his job was literally to drink the cup of of, of whatever the liquid that was in it, to drink the cup before the king did, to make sure it wasn't poisoned so the king didn't die. How luxurious is a job like that? And that's the man, that's the man that God called and who answered the call. And he said, Lord, I will dream this great dream. He was just a guy, just a guy. We have to dream with vision. Number two, we must pray with action. This is verse four. Before we move any further in the text, I'm, I'm reminded again, as we saw last week, that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. His vision, and we have to understand that real vision comes when you're on your knees in prayer. Real leaders understand the opportunity that hinges or swings. Everything hinges on prayer. And so when Nehemiah heard the news about Jerusalem, he prayed. For four months, he prayed. And the more he prayed, the more burdened he became. The more magnificent the obsession that gripped his heart became. To change the condition of this great city. Well, Nehemiah was praying. We said that he even, when when the king asked him what was wrong, he even prayed again. Why? Because he wanted to be a person of prayer. He understood As he was praying and praying and praying, he began that prayer saying, God, rebuild the walls. Then after a few more months, he he began to say, Lord, I believe that you're calling me to go rebuild those walls. And then like we said last week, he finally got to the place where he said, God, if you're you're not calling me to go rebuild those walls, you better say something because I'm packing my bags and I'm going right now. Nehemiah understood the power of prayer. And church family, listen up. This church will only accomplish that which is in direct proportion to her prayer life. This church will only accomplish that which is in direct proportion to her prayer life. If we're not a house of prayer, then we might as well go ahead and throw in the towel because we're done. We're finished. Call it over. No amount of vision... No amount of dreams, no amount of, of, of charisma, no, no amount of, of buildings, no, no amount of ministries will matter. Without prayer, without prayer, it's all for loss. Here's what we learn about from Nehemiah in prayers, that we have to pray with action. We have to pray and get involved. Expose yourself to, to acts of faith. If you're not serving, then serve. Nehemiah didn't just pray, Lord, send somebody. He said, Lord, if you're sending me, I'll go. His prayer turned into action. If God's calling you to serve, then serve. If God's calling you to give. Now, there's some bells going off in our mind. Oh, preacher's talking about money. I can't come to church without the preacher talking about money. Well, you know what? You can't go to Publix without people talking about money either. You say... Preacher, I'm with you with the vision. Let's go feed the homeless. I'm not going to give, but let's go feed the homeless. Now, let's talk about that just a moment. Here's a news flash. I'm not Jesus. I can't take a few pieces of bread and a few pieces of fish and bless them and feed a multitude of homeless. I can't do that. Now, if God has called us to reach out and to minister to the homeless, how do you pray, tell, think that we're going to do that? Through the giving, through sacrificing and giving of the tithe. That's how we do it, that's how we accomplish it. You let God do what God's going to do, and you do what you can do. You come along and, and be a part. It takes money. It takes resources. I, I hear constantly, almost on a daily basis, Preacher, when are we going to get this children's building? We've been praying. I, I, I've talked to, 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 to church members who've been here much longer than I have. And say, Preacher, we've been praying for 20 years that God would give us a children's building. Two decades that God would give us this children's building. You know what? We're not going to get a children's building through osmosis. We can't lay out here on the grounds and say, all right, building, come from the grounds. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. We pray, and Lord knows we've been praying for this. Lord knows we've been fasting for this. Our prayer must turn into action. At some point... We've got to say, Lord, stop. We've got to stop praying. Lord, send somebody and we need to get up off our rear ends and go do it. 20% doing 80%. I would love to see what would happen if that was reversed. What would happen if 80% of the church began to serve? What if 80% of the church started to give? You know what would happen? Revival would happen. Ask God to give you a place to stand for him. one of the most glaring, difficult to swallow dark passages in all the Bibles is Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30. Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30. God says, "I was looking for someone to stand in the gap, but behold, I found no one. There's a lot of gaps in our church that need to be filled. We have plenty of people. But would God look at our church and say, behold, I was looking for someone to go and hold a baby. I was looking for someone to invest their lives in students. I was looking for someone, a a married couple, to come alongside a younger married couple and mentor. I was looking for someone to stand in the gap. But behold... I looked over the mass of people and I saw no one stand up and say, Lord, here I am, use me. May that not be the case for Aloma Church. Because if we're going to realize our potential, if we're going to see this vision become a reality, it's going to require us to not simply ask, what can I do? But we start plugging into ministries. We start filling in to those gaps. We start serving and living and breathing this mission that God's called us on. That's what I want to do with my life to pray so passionately, to so fervently with action that God does some things in my life that only he can do. I want to challenge you, church, to get outside of your comfort zone. So many of us have settled for an okay marriage or, or average commitment to academics, an average career just getting by. So many people have given up and given in and settled in and become complacent and Tolerant. Do you realize that you cannot change that which you tolerate? Let that statement sink in. You cannot change what you tolerate. And frankly, we're not changing things in America today because often God's people, God's own church, are tolerating things that we ought to be changing. But here's our dose of reality for the day. I learned this a long time ago. I don't remember who said it. But none of us will change in our personal lives until the pain of staying where you are becomes greater than the pain of getting better. You will not change until the pain of where you are becomes greater than the pain of getting better. Let me say this another way: when something becomes personal, it becomes important. A lot of us we 're kind of on the fringes of the church and and we may, we may, we may throw a tip here or there to God, but we're on the fringes. It's not, it's not personal yet. Allow the ministries of this church to become personal, because when something becomes personal, it becomes important. Allow the things of God. I want you to think about this. There's a lot of important things that that we all do. I get that outside of the church, we have a life outside of the church, but what institution? has Jesus given to this world and said it's through this institution and this institution alone I will change the world? Any guesses? I've I've read the New Testament many times. I've only found Jesus say there's only one institution, that he is blessed, that when you invest in, that's important enough that he's going to use to change this world. It's the church. It's only the church. And I understand that there's a lot of important things that that we do outside of the church, but we must make the things of the church personal because it's only through the church that we're going to revolutionize the world. This is God's plan, not my plan. The church is God's bride, not my bride. And so we must love and invest and pour our life and soul into this. Number three, I'm out of time, but number three very quickly we must dream with vision. We must pray with action. Then number three, we must move with expectancy. This is the rest of chapter two. We didn't read all of chapter two, Nehemiah chapter two, but you can go back and read it. He moved with expectancy. He began to move forward. If you missed everything that I've said today, don't miss this. Faith fuels vision. Faith fuels vision. When you begin to read the vision of what God is going to do here at Loma Church, don't come along and say, well, that can't happen. Because as soon as you say God can't do something, you just turn around and watch because he's going to do something. Don't bring doubt to vision. Doubt doubt to vision is like taking a bucket of water and throwing it on the fire. If the fire is going, let the fire rage. Faith fuels vision. Nehemiah was sitting back. He was waiting. He was trusting he went to an earthly king, and this earthly king blessed him. But listen, we don't have to go to an earthly king and, and ask for a handout. We can go to our heavenly king. We can go to the king of kings and the Lord of lords and say, God, you place this in our heart. We, we're, we're about to venture into a place, as Nehemiah said, we're about to walk into a place that we don't know. We've never been there. We, our church has never been able to walk by faith in the places you're calling us to walk into how do we proceed well we proceed confidently and courageously confidently and courageously not giving up not giving in when you look in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2 we we see Nehemiah finally get into Jerusalem when he gets into Jerusalem he doesn't start right away building the wall no he takes a midnight ride around that wall what's he doing He's planning, he's organizing, he's counting the cost, he's contemplating how in the world this job is going to get done. Too often we have an idea, we have a dream and, and, and we just go for it, arms flailing and, 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 and taking. we don't take time to plan. You see, this is the beautiful balance we find in Nehemiah. There's the divine side of praying, then there's the human side of planning. There's the divine side of praying In other words, we say, God, you do what you can do. Let me do what I can do. Friend, do you realize that you are unique? You are special. God created you for a purpose, a plan, to do something that no other human being can do. When he made you, he broke the mold. And he looks at you and he says, you are special. I love you. And so many of us are living beneath our potential. We're living beneath the foundation. We're living underneath what God has called us to do. During these 50 days of prayer and fasting, don't you believe that God wants you to realize what it is that you're supposed to be doing? More than you want to realize, more than you want to know God's will. God wants to share His will to you, but you have to be in the right heart and mind frame. God didn't send Nehemiah right when He gave him the vision. He said, There's a time of incubation. Anything that has life requires a time of incubation. Think about a little baby. And that little baby is conceived. It's not tissue. It's not an embryo. It's a baby. It's a life. But you see, that baby and that life, it requires a time of incubation before it's ready to be shared and live out its life. Vision is no different. Everything that has life has a time of incubation. And then when that incubation period is done, everything has life, has been given birth to. And the vision that God has given to this church, we're, it's, it's time. We've been incubating for 60 years this year. This church has been in existence for 60 years. We will actually be celebrating the birthday of our church on the 50th day of our fast. How cool is that? How cool is that? On that Sunday before Thanksgiving is our 60th anniversary as a church. And we're going to come together and we're going to party like it's 1999. (laughs) We're going to say, yay, God. And we're going to say, God, look at what you have done. God, look at what you have done in my life. And God, look at what you're going to do. Because we're not going to settle. We're not going to be a church that says, oh, you know, we used to do this and yada, yada, yada in the past. No. The best is yet to come. Will you join me in prayer? Today, if you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, the most important thing that you can get out of this message today is that Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He died on the cross to give you forgiveness of sins.